Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome out there in radio land. And yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. I want to start with a, a quote for you, something to think about even before we introduce today's awesome guest. And the quote today is, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. So, again, we want to welcome you to this early uh, July 8th. We're still early in the month. For those of our loyal listeners who've been with us for almost 13 years now, we want to welcome you back and thank you. And for those who it might be your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, I want to remind you to just set a bookmark for 11 a.m. in the mornings to tune in to Off the Shelf. And there's so many ways. You can catch us, you can dial in, you can just click a link and link in. You can join us in the chat room. There are many different devices you can join us on here at Off the Shelf. But just, just set your calendar, 11 a.m. Uh, New York City time or Eastern Standard Time uh, on a Saturday morning that you're just going to treat yourself to a wonderful guest uh, here, right here at Off the Shelf. And I also want to ask you, how important we're going to talk about relationships, but from a different aspect uh, today on today's off the shelf show. But I wanted to ask you how important relationships are to you, not just a romantic relationship, but relationships, parental relationships that we know. That's where we form a lot of our ego identity, a lot of our, our what we identify as our personality and our beliefs that literally shaped all the rest of our lives. If we don't change those beliefs, we form them with the relationships we have with our parents. So I was wanting to ask you, how important do you think that is to you, parental relationships that affect actually our romantic relationships and our friendships, the people we'll let get close to us and who we won't? That all starts with our relationships with our parents. And then my next question for you is how good of a mystery sleuth are you? How good are you at figuring out who done it before the author or the producer reveals it to you in a book or a TV show? How good are you at figuring it out? First, you just pay attention, watch the clues, and you say, I know who did this, and you get it right. If you love trying to figure things out before it happens, you like mystery, you value relationships from at least three different prongs, I think you will love Love Pour Over Me. And you can get a copy of Love Pour Over Me in print or ebook format at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, etc. If you don't see the print book on the shelf when you go in the bookstore, just ask the clerk, say, I would like to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And they can get a copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So I hope you will go out today and get a copy, ebook or print of Love Pour Over Me and let me know how you enjoyed Love Pour Over Me. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. Now our 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 I have every show I learn something from every guest. I don't set out to do that, it just happens. And last week's guest I just Adored. I, we have guests that come on that just, just they, they, they just leave an imprint. And this guest for today, as I was researching for this interview, very intriguing. I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, wanting to know what she's going to share. She, she covers relationships, uh, inter interrelational relationships, but it's, it's some of the the things she focuses on that uh, really. Now, really grabbed my attention. And so our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Maria McKenzie. And some of you may have heard of Maria. She is a former librarian, a small business owner, a wife, and a mother. She is also the author of the books Masquerade, Escape, The Governor's Sons, Revelation, From Cad to Cadaver, and Desiree, I hope I said that right, and Maria earned her master's in library science from Atlanta University and her English degree from Wittenberg University. You can learn more about Maria even while you listen to her during today's 
feature interview. You can learn more about Maria McKenzie online at MariaMcKenzieWrites.com, and that's spelled M-A-R-I-A-M-C-K-E-N-Z as in zebra, I-E-W-R-I-T-E-S.com, MariaMcKenzieWrites.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Maria. Thank you, Denise. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Yeah, I, I'm so, I'm so looking forward to what you share, and then your writing, your de- your level and depth of writing is, is, is your talent shines through. So I'm curious just oh, to dive into the stories. You're very welcome, and I'm sure. Our, and thanks for sharing your talent with us. I'm sure that uh, the readers will, as they go deeper, we go deeper into the show, be more and more intrigued by your books, but. There are a few questions I started each show off with, Maria. So instead of just jumping right into talking about the books or the author's writing, I'd like to give our listeners a little backstory on our author. So I'm going to ask you a few questions that I ask each of our guests at the beginning of the show. So before we okay. go into the, the questions, can you tell off the shelf, listeners, Maria, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, well, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and I had, gosh, just a pretty great childhood. My parents were happily married. Um, I went to private school. We traveled. Um, My mom was a teacher. My dad was in real estate. So, you know, I had a, you know, just, just your regular average childhood, so you know, I lived in Cincinnati till I was 18. That's when I went off to college. And then you know, I went to Wittenberg, and then I went to Atlanta University. And I really enjoyed living in the South. My uh, mother's parents were from South Carolina. So I kind of had a, you know, I, I liked the South anyway just from visiting her, you know, during the summers when we were growing up. And so my first job was in Macon, Georgia. I lived there for about three years. And then I had another job as a librarian. Um, in Garner, North Carolina, which was a suburb of the Raleigh area. So, and that's where I met my husband. So I lived in the South for several years, and then I ended up back in Cincinnati, which is where I live right now. So I worked as a librarian ah. for a good 10 years, and uh, I got married, had kids, and I stopped working at that point to become a stay-at-home mom. So and with the writing, it just kind of, I had never, I'd always loved to read. And I never thought about writing. You know, like I said, I loved reading, but I'm a very quiet person. And quiet people like to internalize a lot. But then I, as I, you know, grew older, I said, well, gosh, you know, it's these people that internalized it write a lot. And so I got an idea for the novel Unchained and just kind of started playing with that when I was, you know, at home with my, my first child. So, Anyway, that's that's kind of the background of my life. That's interesting. How you? I was going to ask you, how old were you when you knew you wanted to be a writer? So you were a, a, an adult, oh, and it sounds like I was. Yeah, I was an adult. I was. It was after I got married. I was. Oh gosh, I was probably like thirty-four, maybe, when I came up with the idea for Unchained. Yeah, and it was just something I was having fun with, you know, because I was always, you know, I internalized, but I was always a daydreamer too. So, you know, I just kind of had these ideas and I just kind of started, you know, writing. Now, if I was always able to write a decent paper, you know, when I was in school and college. Writing was something that was easy for me. I'm not good in math, but I could always write, you know, so so just telling a okay, story, so you know, it yeah, sounds like when I'm listening to you, it sounds like you were looking for something to do, and you just stumbled into writing, and you've written uh, yeah. so many books. <laughs> wow, that is pretty. I I I don't know if we've had a guest on. A lot of people will they'll know from when they're a kid, or somebody challenged them to write a book, or. We've had a couple of guests on. That's how they got started. A friend challenged them. You can't write a book by the end of the summer, and then they did. And some of them have gone on to become best-selling authors, but that's how they got started. Mm -hmm. Some knew when they were a child, 
some that were writing wanted to write about an experience they had and then to yeah. work through it, I guess, and that's how their writing started. But just be, to say, I was looking for something to do, and it kind of reminds me of how Julia Childs got started, her cooking. She, she, yeah, uh, she, yeah. uh, this was her, she, her job, this was during when they were really saying everybody was a communist. I forget what they called that era. But she lost her job, and she's like, what do I do? What do I do? And somehow she stumbled in. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I did. I just kind of stumbled into it. <laughs> and and she's become like one of the uh, like a, the cooking icon, and she she never even intended, I don't think, to to do that. So, did you always plan? Uh, now that I go into your books, did you always plan to turn unchained? You started writing this. This is your first one when your first child was born, did you always plan to turn Unchained into a book series? And if so, why Why did you want to take that approach? No, no. Actually, I didn't. And it was, I actually started writing it. I, it was, actually, I was still working when I came up with the idea. And I did, you know, I was a librarian, so I could go in early and do a little bit of research here and there. You know, and, you know, and again, it was just, I was having fun with it. And then when I was at home, you know, I was, you know, started kind of writing it. But no, it was not, it was just going to be one book, you know, because it started off, I had an abolitionist that fell in love with a slave girl and he helped, you know, they, he helped her escape and you know, it was going to be this nice love story, you know, and so I just kind of had that idea. And then it just kept snowballing. They had kids and then, you know, I looked at the life of the kids and one daughter was rebellious and wanted to pass as white and then, you know, she had her life and then so it just kept going. It started in eighteen fifty six and then it you know, we're in the gay nineties with the actress and then she has children, we moved to the teens, the thirties, and then we jumped to the nineties, which is the year that I actually, you know, started writing the book. So it just kind of I just wanted it to be one book, but it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And it was finally, it was like over 800 pages. And I was like, oh, you know, and I, and I was never going to finish it. It just seemed to keep wow. going and going. And I said, wow. So when I finally did finish it, you know, I said, well, I think I'm going to try to get it published. And so I, you know, started doing the submission process and, you know, everybody said, oh, it's too long. You know, either they weren't interested or it was too long. And one agent did, they weren't interested, but they said, maybe you should turn it into more than one book. And I was like, oh. And at that time, I had met a very good friend who I call her my writing coach. She's my writing teacher. You know, and she was saying, you know, this needs to be more than one book. It just can't be one. You know, and I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just kind of was like, okay. So I just kind of put it away. And I just, you know. I kind of gave up on it because I said, oh, I don't know if I want to deal with, you know, chopping it up into three parts. Ah. So it sat in the dark. 800 pages. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it okay, was ridiculous. So that, yeah, most, <laughs> yeah most, most publishers or agents would say, uh, yeah, you got you to gotta trim, trim this down. But you had no yeah. intention. You still... But Harry Potter's those books are pretty um they're pretty long too. So Oh, they're very I, that, long. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, cuz and Stephen King's books are are really long. So oh, but it was yeah, only going to be yeah. So it turned into a series was it was also something that just sort of happened because they like to keep your books I think around 2 2:30 somewhere in that in that range. But again, there yeah. are best-selling authors who have very long novels. Again, the Harry Potter books, Stephen King's novels are, tend to be long, and they do very, yeah. very well. Can you give a is 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 Escape the first book in the series, Maria? Yes, Escape is the first book in the series, and that Can you give is, us a that focuses on the love story. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, could you give us a brief synopsis? Of, of oh, the, sure. Of Escape. Yeah. Um, in Escape, uh, Daniel and Lori love each other. And Daniel is a young abolitionist and Lori is a slave. And um, they fall in love. And, of course, you know, they 
can't be together. And so Daniel is a wealthy abolitionist, but his aunt and uncle have a plantation, and that's where Lori um, is. And she comes to the abolitionist household just just temporarily because she she has lost her mother and she's unconsolable and she's a young girl at this point. But but anyway, so she stays in the the um, plantation owner's sister's household, you know, who's an abolitionist. She stays there for about ten years. And they have every intention of taking her back. So they didn't mean to leave her there for 10 years, but over this 10-year period, she and Daniel fall in love. And so when the uh, the abolitionist parents die, they, you know, the slave girl goes back to the plantation, but Daniel goes with her. And he tries to get his uncle to free her, but he says, you know, she's my buddy, I'm going to keep her, all this stuff. So anyway, he... It manages to plot an escape for Lori. And they eventually escape. They go to Oberlin. Um, they get, before they go to Oberlin, they're married in a Quaker ceremony in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, you know, eventually they, you know, go off to Oberlin, Ohio, and live as man and wife, and then eventually decide after the war to go to California. So that's you know, just a, in a nutshell, that's just how that story goes. So they live yeah, they, in California they, they, on a they, ranch and have children. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're probably a little bit less uh, the social tension. Probably, I'm assuming less. Are they children when they first meet? And if not, how old are they when they meet? And do yeah, they do in, they grow up together? Yeah, they do, and the, it's in in the story it actually opens when they're teenage they're like I think Lori is 17 and Daniel is 18 but she has been living in the household since she was seven so you know it's mainly backstory that the reader learns that they were raised together yeah and I just and I also uh the woman that with the the mother who's an abolitionist, she had lost a daughter not long ago, and Lori, as a little girl, kind of fills that void for her. So she kind of dotes on Lori. She has Lori tutored with Daniel because they're about the same age. So you know they grow up together, and you know they're with each other. They you know kind of bond. So you know that's I wanted to make it you know believable. You know that you know these two you know people from two so you know totally different backgrounds could you know they could be together under the same roof and you know have this affinity for each other and then as they grow older it turns to love so that's kind of how I Daniel's played family, that out is Daniel's family wealthy not everybody who owns a plantation which is why some people oh, get buying yes. and selling slaves that's right. Now, Daniel's family, where Lori is in the household, he, his family is a merchant family. So that's how they made their money. You know, so the mother, uh, Rebecca, married uh, a man, and he, he's, he's dead to start off the story, but he, you know, had these abolitionist tendencies when she married him. And, you know, so they're both abolitionists, but he is a merchant. So that's how, and they have servants, but they're paid servants. So that's how they made their money. So Daniel's family is wealthy, but they're merchants. Ah, so they're, they don't, they're not really, well, she's a slave girl though. You said he's not, her family, they're merchants, they're abolitionists, so they don't own slaves, right? They don't own slaves, but the the mother, Rebecca's brother, has a plantation. And Rebecca was actually raised on that plantation. So Okay, I'm trying to figure out. So Lori is, how, Lori's a little slave girl. Who, yeah. if she, she, meets, she meets where Daniel grew up, his family's abolitionists, so they don't own slaves. Yeah. Who is she right? They don't for? know Lori. Okay, well, Lori is originally born in Daniel's uncle's uh, plantation, and he's the one. He's the planter okay. with the big rice plantation, and he has a very evil wife. Yeah, I'm stereotyping, but Lucinda. 
And Lucinda um, is very cruel to Lori. And Lori, um, you know, little slave girl on the plantation, loses her mother. And she is just cries a lot because Lucinda is so cruel to her. Lucinda slaps her. You know, she's just awful to the little girl. And she won't stop crying. But when Daniel's family would come to visit, you know, she always, she and Rebecca, you know, she was very fond of Rebecca. So Lucinda said, you know, I'm just going to send this girl over to Rebecca's. So she'll just stop crying about her mother. And then when she's over it, she can come back. So that's kind of how I played that out. And she really had no intention of leaving there for t- leaving her there for ten years. It just kind of happened because it's fiction, and anything can happen in fiction. So you know, so that's kind of how that happened. So she just sent her away temporarily. She said, "Well, she likes Rebecca. You know, she can get over her mother. You know, and just stay there for a little while. And then you know, when she comes back, I'm gonna put her to work. You know, as you know, she'd be a housemaid of some kind. But anyway, so the ten years oh. passed." Yeah, and that was long enough for her to stay there and, you know, fall in love with Daniel and learn all those horrible abolitionist ways. So <laughs> mm, what what makes what makes Daniel's aunt Lucinda? What makes her such a hard woman? We don't we're not just born that way. We I, I oh, find yeah. that when we try to protect us, what makes her so yeah. hard? Well, and again, I go into backstory with her. Uh she was raised on a plantation as well and her mother was very weak you know and back in that day of course there was no birth control and you know you die women died left and right from childbirth and so this woman was very weakly and the doctor said you know if if she has a child you know another child she's going to die you know so eventually you know so the father and this is Lucinda's father you know he decides separate bedrooms so he won't be tempted but he takes a slave woman to be his mistress. So Lucinda realizes as a young woman why she sees this black woman coming in and out of her father's bedroom. And she also notices that uh, the black woman's children, you know, resemble him. Uh, You know, so she's, you know, and they're very, you know, they're mulatto children. They're very fair-skinned. And so she's, I'm sorry, mixed race, which was called mulatto back then. And, you know, she's, mm-hmm. you know, she figures out these are his children by this woman. So she just has all this bitterness. And her mother has just suffered oh. the humiliation because, of course, she knows what's going on. You know, so, so anyway, she's very bitter about that. You know, so, you know, so that's, so she's, the whole slavery thing is just, so horrible to her. I mean, it's like you're, we're going to use these people, you know, but, you know, she's just got all that hatred because that's what happened. So when Lori does come back, and, you know, I think Lori and Daniel are there together, and she sees something's going on, and she's just not going to have any of that under her roof. So, so yeah, ah, she's from the experience she had growing up. Yes. That makes, that makes perfectly good sense. But a system like slavery... Uh, domestic violence, even if people oh, are yeah. from the same culture, when you try to dominate another human, and, 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 and people keep trying to do it, whether it's again yeah. domestic violence, you got sex slave trades that are still going on. Oh. Um, yeah, which is so it, horrible. It, it, well, one person just wants to literally dominate, dominate. another person, mm-hmm. or yeah. that, that never works. That has never ever work nothing in creation is made for that so it never will work mm-hmm. but there's some need in some people to dominate and i don't know if it's yeah. fear that they feel like if i'm not dominating and controlling i have to I, maybe it's fear they, I, they that they don't think they would could survive but it never works yeah. and yet people keep trying yeah. it and it never never yeah. works did you do a lot of research oh, did you do a lot of research you're going way back, like 200 years oh, almost. Yeah. Did yeah. you do a lot of research while you were compiling these books? And why Maria? Now, you, you were a new mom. You're looking for something to do after you have been a librarian for 10 years. So you had to have a love for books there. But why would you go all the way back that far in history? Did you, Well, you have to do all this research. Did you have to pour through books? 
and do a lot oh, of research. Oh, I did, and uh, I just, you were... I just, you know, I love history. I, I was a, I minored in history when I was ah. in college, but, and I really, and I think American history is my favorite history. I mean, but I just, I just really love it. So, you know, again, you know, when I came up with the idea for the book, I was still working, and I was, you know. I think it might have been the last year I was working, but, you know, I could go in early and do a little bit of research, you know, but then again, you know, once I stopped working and had kids, and I think early on with the kids, you know, they're really time-consuming, and I had no idea they'd be so time-consuming, so the writing was kind of on hold for a while, but, yeah, I had no idea about that, but anyway, so the writing was a little bit on hold, but once they were, you know, a little older and would nap, you know, I could, I could just, you know, go through books and slave narratives and, you know, look at the internet, and I would, you know, go to the library, and I'd bring home piles of books, and it was just fun to me. I just love it. So, you know, the, you know, I've always, even as a kid, I love looking at old photographs, and, you know, just, you know, but, and I discovered slave narratives when I was working at the library, and again, this was before I started writing, and I was like, wow, this is just so fascinating. So, yeah, I, I chose to go back and instead of, and I didn't want to do the 1860s because, you know, I just, I'm not really that crazy about writing about the Civil War. I mean, I'll read about it, but it, to me it's hard to write about it. I, I'm just not into the battles and all that stuff. I just want to focus on the love story. So I said, I'm going to make it 1856, and then I kind of was able to skip ahead and kind of skip over the Civil War and just kind of make mention of it. So, yeah, I went a little earlier than the 1860s, so I, I think I opened my story in 1856, but I just love doing the research. And, you know, you just get so wrapped up in the slave narratives and the stories, and you're like, man, could this... and you just wonder, how could this really have happened? So, yeah, so mm. that that was just for me. I love books. I love history. I love research. So it, it, it yeah, was, was just I was going to ask you you know, I was going to ask you how your your prior work as a librarian, not just, your, you know, your love of history, that is definitely a good thing to have, but your prior work as a librarian, how has that helped you, how did that help you with researching and oh. writing these historic novels? Yeah, just knowing how to research and knowing what tools and resources are out there, that gives you a good head start. Um it, and even when I would get stuck sometimes, I would, I'd say, well, let me just call the library. And this is when I wasn't working. And sometimes they couldn't give me an answer better than what I found. And I, I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> but no, but, but for me, I feel like, you know, the research skills that I learned, you know, just were, you know, amazing and just being exposed to all the resources. So I know what's out there. And when I would run into a dead end, if I, even if I called the library and they couldn't help me, that's when I'd have to, like, call, you know, I'd have to scour other resources to find an expert on a subject and call that particular person to help me with a question. So, Yeah, you know, I had a friend who did, who did her genealogy, and I also had somebody in my family. And when you're talking about this type of research, I mean, this is a, a fictional a, a story, but they tell me that it is amazingly time-consuming, and you really have to know where to go, or like you say, you end up spending hours and coming up with nothing. So it, oh, that yeah. is just interesting. Yeah. We've had we've had another, uh, two other authors on here. One who wrote about um, the uh, the Mexican. I can't remember of it when the uh, the United States took California. It's funny when I listen to the. Mm -hmm. People talk about the Hispanic American tensions now, if where they exist, and I'm like, do you know they Mexico used to own that state? Yeah, <laughs> but but she she said she enjoyed doing doing that research as well. And then we had another author. All, all his stories are set like in the 17 or 1800s. And he does mm -hmm. all that research, and he's very successful. But some people just love, love readers. They love that, those historic yeah. novels. Some people like futuristic novels like the Star Wars, and some people like the novels that go way back uh, uh, into history. Good for you. Good for you. So that yeah. you have the, you, the skills to do that research. I want to ask you, your books, all of your books sound so incredibly 
Interesting. And then when the reader hears about the research that you put in, oh, I wanted to ask you next, what is Lavinia Hargraves, what's her relationship like with her mother, Lori? You have some oh. very interesting characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you were asking your questions at the beginning of the show, I was thinking about that, your parental relationships and all that. But, oh, my goodness, yeah, Lavinia is just horrible. And I usually love all my characters, even when they're bad, you know, but Lavinia is really awful. But she is um, very fair, you know, because Lori is very dark-skinned. She's, you know, dark brown, and, and, and Daniel's white. You know, so you just never know what your kids are going to look like when you have, you know, parents of different races. So, you know, the other kids are, you know, kind of golden, honey-colored, and Lavinia looks white. So she would rather be white than be associated with having a mother as, you know, of course the word back then is Negro. So she just has all kinds of emotional problems because of this. You know, now she's kind of twisted and I, and I said, gosh, you can't just get that twisted normally. So I have Lori talking about how she had a fever at one point and she thinks maybe that affected the baby because, you know, it's really hard, you know, unless somebody has some kind of psychotic, you know, tendencies that they could be as cruel as Lavinia is. But she is determined Mm. that she's going to be white. And just even though her father Mm. is a wealthy white man, her mother is black and she just can't deal with that, you know, because she's like, you know, as long as people think I'm white, everything's wonderful. But as soon as they find out she's my mother, they look down on me and, you know, all this stuff. So she just is determined to get away from her parents. You know, and her mother is a teacher and she wants her to be a teacher. And, you know, but she hates children. She hates teaching. She wants to be an actress. And, of course, at that time, acting was just, you know, one step above being a prostitute. So family is very religious. You know, so she just rejects all that. She runs away, you know, because she just wants to live white life as a white person. She wants the stage. She wants fame. And she doesn't want to be chained, you know, to this Negro background. So, yeah, Lavinia, she was fun to write. And I was telling a friend of mine who's a neurologist about her, and she said, oh, it sounds like she has narcissistic personality disorder. Oh, oh yeah. And I, I did a little research on that. I was like, oh, yeah, she does have that. <laughs> wow. She's got to be the center of attention. We were talking about, oh, you know, gosh. it doesn't help when you you cannot dominate another person, and anybody trying should just quit. It won't work. We're not created for that. No. And it's not a kind of misery for, for both both people, but it's amazing how we dig our heels in, and it sounds like she is doing that, because I was going to ask you, why is she trying to hide the fact that she's some African-American ancestry? If Is there something she's close to gaining, and if somebody finds out, she'd lose it? Because there were a lot oh, of yeah. people of African descent who tried to hide, uh, yeah. and then during the uh, Holocaust, and right after it, there were people who were of Jewish descent who changed their last yeah. name, hoping nobody yeah. would know, so they wouldn't be exactly. attacked. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, she what was is pushing her. To, yeah, to, well, uh, uh, you would have such a better life, you know, if you could be white. I mean, and I met my uncle who is ninety-five. He knew he was showing me some pictures. He says, oh, and this is the so-and-so family. I stayed with them, you know, back in 1940-whatever, and they all passed as white. Now, they weren't ashamed of being black, but they worked all their jobs. They were hired because they looked white. If, they, it, it, if it had been known that they were black, they wouldn't have been able to get the good jobs that they had. But if, for them, it was like an economic thing. You know, if nobody, you know, we look white, you know, big deal, and we're going to get these white jobs. You know, and of course, and then there were, I have relatives that were ashamed that passed, you know, and it was a secret. If you wanted to visit them, you had to visit them at night so nobody would see you. You know, so, you know, it just kind of runs the spectrum. And then there are the people that just kind of cut the ties completely. You know, and this is like the 1920s, 1930s. So Lavinia is born in, you know, the 1880s. So for her, you know, even though she's wealthy, the fact that she's black, 
and that's, you know, lower status and looked down on. She doesn't want anything to do with that. She just wants being white. So that's her motivation is, you know, I just want to cut the ties completely with these people. I don't want anybody to know my mother is black. I just want to live my life as a white person. So she completely cuts her ties, you know, when she's able to, you know, when she finds someone to take her away from all that, who can change her past, you know, and, and make her, you know, be white so she can have everything that she wants. It's, it's, but what? But is she close to her mother? Do they have a loving no. relationship? It sounds like. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Now, her other children, of course, are perfectly normal, but Lavinia, she just has this this hatred of her mother for being black. And I mean, I don't, it, it's like that, the, the, the story imitation of life. I've never read the book, but I've seen the two versions of the movie and the little girl is so ashamed of her mother. And it's just, it's not until her mother dies that she's like, Oh, I was so horrible. You know, all this stuff. But anyway, but yes, yeah, so with Lavinia, it's, it's, I'm, you know, and again, I don't go into this in the book, but I'm assuming that, you know, Lori is a very loving individual, and I'm sure she gave her daughter love and nurturing and everything, but she just, you know, because she is black, she just is ashamed and just, you know, and I, like I said, I, I, you know, I, and Lori, the mother, will descend her to the death. It's like, you know, because, you know, something happens later with her other daughter, and she's defending Lavinia. And she's like, why are you defending her when she hates you? She's like, well, she's my child. You know, but, you know, yeah. you just, with woman and her, you know, psychosis, I just don't think she could have a normal relationship with anyone. And she uses people. She, ah. She's one of those people that's not, she's a narcissist, and she's just not really capable of real love. I mean, so that that's the only way I can look at it. Because I, you know, because okay. when I do, listen, yeah, when you read the story, it's like, gosh, she's so horrible. How'd she get that way? So she's got to have some something going on with her brain to make her that way. Yeah. Now, do you do you continue to focus on Lori and Daniel's relationship and Masquerade, the second book in the Chain series? Mm-hmm. And then in the second book in Masquerade, how old are Lori and Daniel at this point? Oh, let's see. In Masquerade, they are, um, I think they're they're in their middle years. They're like in their 50s, I believe, at this point. Because, yeah, Lavinia has run away. She's become successful. And, you know, the first husband dies. She remarries. She has kids. And then, you know, the the second husband discovers the truth about her and he wants to find out more. And that's when we find out, we see Daniel and Lori again. So they're gray haired, but they're, they're middle-aged. They're in their fifties. And they oh, okay. of course still okay, have do. a loving relationship and fully married. That's a good, that's so. a good thing to see, to see their relationship uh, still going strong. Now is revelation, the final book in the chain. Yeah. In the series revelation, make this mm-hmm. the- Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, there was so much that happened, you know, with Lavinia's life. So that just needed a whole book. And, uh, you know, and she has <laughs> children. And we look at her relationship with her children, which is, you know, pretty awful. <laughs> but anyway, so then uh, from uh, Masquerade ends, I believe, when her children are eight years old. And then Revelation picks up on her daughter Selena's life. And Selena is in Revelation when it opens, she's 16. And that story, you know, looks at her teenage years and her marriage, you know, and eventually, you know, and I I skip a lot of, uh, there's something horrible that happens in the 1930s. And then I kind of skip to the 1990s with her grandson and his family. So, you know, but Daniel and Lori are in, you know, they're in that book too a little bit as older people. And uh, But I just felt like I would just kind of bring it full circle. And I think what made me want to go to the current, well, I say current, 1998 isn't so current anymore. But I was reading about, um, in, I think it was in American Heritage, uh, Julia 
Sim, I think that was her name. I might be wrong. I'd have to look it up. I just can't remember. But she was doing some research on her family tree, and she found out that her great-grandmother caused a scandal in the 1890s because she was a black woman passing as a white ambassador. And she, so she eventually found out that her grandmother was black and her grandfather was black, but they had passed as white. And, you know, and she was like, you know, her grandfather always said he went to Harvard and then she couldn't find any record of it, And but she found out he went to Meharry and, you know, she was like, oh, you know, she just discovered all of a sudden, wow. You know, so I, I thought, well, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to see what happened with Lavinia's family in the 1990s if all of a sudden they found out, we got a black relative back there and they had no clue. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Can you um I'm 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 Lavinia is an interesting character. Of all the characters you created, which was which character was your favorite to create and which one did you dislike creating the most? She seems very oh. complicated. Well, I just I really just loved her. I mean, and that's it she was that book was probably my favorite just cuz she's so evil. And, I mean, it was just so fun to create her because she's so evil. And, I mean, and you know, I mean, it's like I always say, oh, I love all the characters I've written, you know, and I even when they're bad, I love them. And Lavinia, I really dislike her as a person, but as a character, she was just so much fun to create because she was so bad. And it's always, of course, more fun to write about a bad girl. And it's like it's fun to see how would they react in this kind of situation. I mean, they would do things you know, a logical, compassionate person would never, ever do. So it was just kind of fun playing with her and seeing how her mind worked and just seeing how far she would go and how bad she could be and how evil she could be. So, yeah, she was probably the most fun I had for character. She was probably the most fun I had working with. Okay, and who was the hardest to create? The most challenging Hmm. Oh, the most Which challenging. Really um, you know, I would think the governor's son, the Ash Cross character. You know, he was kind of uh, he was kind of a challenge. You know, because the governor's sons. That was a a story that I wrote after I read um, S.C. May Washington's memoir, and she was the love child of. South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond and his, you know, the family maid. And, uh, you know, so I kind of, you know, I read her memoir and I read his biographies, the Strom Thurmond's biographies, but when I was kind of creating this character of Ash, I wanted it to be like he was really, you know, so in love, and this is like the 1930s, and he's so in love with this black woman, what would he really be willing to do for her? So I had to, you know, kind of look at that and say, would he really be willing to give everything up for her? Would he really be willing to change his life for her? You know, so that was kind of a challenge, you know, because, you know, back then most people just say, oh, well, well, I'm just going to forget this and move on. But I just, you know, kind of had to do a lot of work with that to make it seem realistic. Or I should say believe. Oh, okay. How widespread, based on your research, was it? Was that? Because there were so many, you know, as much as a, a white man didn't want to, nobody to know he was having an affair. That was so common with the, with mm-hmm. a black woman. So, you, I mean, it was very, very common. Um, but how widespread was it, based on your research, uh, would you say ten oh, percent of the people who were mixed raced choosing to pass uh, as white? And that's that's sort of sad to look out and say to yourself, of these two choices, this is the one I think is better. <laughs> oh, as far as how a percentage of the of light skinned blacks happens white, I just don't really know. I mean, I I wouldn't. It's really hard to say. I mean, of course there. You know, most black people have some white blood. I mean, that's a given. And I think a lot of white Americans don't realize that, you know, because, you know, there was the rape, but there was also real love, you know. But as far as, like, the people who really would give up 
everything and say I'm going to cross the color line and, you know, that's how I'm going to do it. I just don't know what the percentage would be, you know, because I know a lot of people would do it, but at the same time, they might do it during the day, but then at night they were back with their black family. But just to cut ties completely and go off, I just don't know how many people would actually do that. I, I would, you know, I'm thinking maybe 10% would really decide I'm just going to be white and that's it. You know, because if, if you do that, uh, you can't go back. I mean, and I just don't know how many people would yeah. really be willing to give up all their, you know, again, we look their at family. our family relationships and our family. Would you really want to give that, all of it up? You know, so I, you know, I don't yeah. know. I think a lot of people did pass for economic reasons. I know my mother knew a, a man who was, you know, he would work, you know, during the day. And my, and if they got, saw him downtown, my grandma would say, oh, there's Mr. Jason, but don't say anything to him. He's working. He's passing. You know, so, you know, but, you know, he wasn't, <laughs> you know, he didn't give up everything. He was just working as a white man for economic reasons. And he'd go back home to his black wow, family. Wow, that so, is, oh, my God, it's 2017, and it's hard to believe that our country just 150, even 100 years ago, was so completely Yeah, and completely that different. was like in the 1930s, you know, when my grandma yeah. was telling me, Shh, don't say anything, you know. So, yes. And I'm sure wow. you know, there are still people now that, you know, might, you know, you just never know. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Lori and Daniel. They they have their kids and then the 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 their the, their daughter who is so complicated and conflicted. Do they ever later in their lives? I don't know if you ever have them do this in any other like Revelation in the later books in the series. Say maybe we made the wrong choice because look look at our family now. Or do they still oh, say no. we made the right choice? Oh, no, no. They loved each other. I mean, their two other children are normal and well-adjusted. You know, they love each other. They loved each other. So, no, no, they they were, you know, and it, their love just shows all the way through. Because even, you know, I think I have, you know, um, the son, the brother tells the sister, you know, well, grandfather died or grandmother died and then grandfather wasn't himself it was like he was just waiting to die and he died a week later so so I mean they had you know a real love they were just so no they never ever had second thoughts oh we did the wrong thing Lavinia was just Lavinia so unfortunately you know yeah but their two other children were fine but no they was you know they made the right choice for love now from Cad to Cadaver is a completely different type of book it's more of a mystery oh, yeah. thriller, is that correct? Yeah, it is actually a, a comedic mystery. So, yeah, it's very different from the other books, you know, because I love historical fiction, you know, but I just, that I write on with historical fiction, they're really heavy and they're heart-wrenching. I mean, I love writing about it, but gosh, it can be, a, you know, it can be such a downer and it can be really depressing. And so with Chad the Cadaver, I was like this, you know, one day I just got this idea for this private eye, and uh, I just kept thinking and thinking. I was like, well, let me just try a book with it. And so I just kind of started playing with it, and I was gonna, I kept thinking I'd quit because it's very hard to write a mystery, number one, and I'm not even a big mystery reader. I love romantic suspense, and I love thrillers, but I'm not really that much into mystery, so I was like, why am I even doing this? You know, so I wrote some books on how to write a cozy mystery because, you know, it's not, it's not really violent. or It's more funny, you know, than anything. But I do love, you know, thrillers and suspense, so I was like, well, you know, I would do it. And then and I just was trying to make it funny because I love to laugh. And so every time I'd say to my husband, oh, I'm just going to quit. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what, where to go with the plot. And he'd say, no, no, keep going. It's funny. you got to keep going. You know, I'd take it to my writer's group, and everybody would laugh. So I was like, okay, well, that's a good sign. You know, people think it's funny. So I just kept going with it. So that, that's kind of how it, it happened. So it was just kind of a nice change of pace. And, you know, and I, I really did have a fun time writing it. Can you give, tell us a little about Cat to Cadaver? And then I want to talk uh, about your, your, the writing process for you. Oh, okay. Well, my, uh, Chad the Cadaver uh, features uh, ex-cop and former FBI agent Tracy Black. And she has some trust issues because she's been in some pretty bad relationships. So 
she has worked in Atlanta, and then she moves to Cincinnati, my hometown, which can't really compare to Atlanta, so she's kind of got to adjust to being in a new town. And and she's, you know, had a bad – something happened when she was an agent, and she decided she would quit, you know, the bureau, and she, you know, has come home. She'll be a private eye. So her sister kind of has a friend whose name is Adam Slate, and he's an ex-Navy SEAL. And she's like, oh, you know, he – you know, help you, you know, he, he does consulting and he's a private eye too. And, you know, he saw your picture, he thinks you're hot and all that, you know, she's like, ah, I don't care. She's not interested. Finally do meet. And uh, he invites her to help him on a case. And then you know, they kind of become a team. And then they go, they do an out of state job. And when they come back, she's accused of murder. There had been a guy that she wasn't really dating, but who was kind of interested in her, and he turns up dead. And, of course, all the fingers point to her, so she's got to prove her innocence, and he helps her. So it, it's he's white and she's black. It's another, it's an interracial thing. So, And as I said, I just try to keep it funny the whole way. Oh, okay, okay, and you you enjoyed writing writing this. What is your writing process like? And can you share some tips with our off the shelf listeners who mm-hmm. may want to write a novel themselves, or oh, they sure. may already yeah. have started? What What is the process like for you? And what do you do when you get stuck? If you do. Okay, well, first of all, for the writing process for me, I might come up with the idea of a story. I might think, oh, wow, what if uh, there was a um, you know, this kind of situation and, you know, I, and I kind of, when I get an idea for a story, it's like, I know what's going to happen in the beginning and kind of what's going to happen at the, in the middle and kind of what's going to happen at the end. Of course, everything is subject to change. Now, some people write very involved plots. I do not do that. I might write a very brief outline, you know, A, B, and C, you know, just kind of to get me going. And I just kind of, you know, I have my characters in mind, you know, and as I'm writing them, they just kind of come to life. And I kind of let them lead the story for me. So, you know, you hear the expressions, are you a plotter or a panster? I am, I'm more of a panster because it seems like I kind of fly by the seat of my pants when I'm writing the story. And I really kind of leave it to the characters. So kind of how my process goes. And I'm sorry, you asked me a question about, for people that are yeah, interested it, in so writing. Let's say, yeah, you said when you were writing you, from CAD to Cadaver, you, you're, you're the writing group and your husband said, keep going, it's funny. What mm-hmm. do you do if or if it's happened to you, not all writers don't deal with this, but if you get stuck and you just say, I, I, oh, I, yeah. I now I can't write at all, they call that writer's block, oh. but have you ever experienced oh, that? Yeah. And how did you get around it? Okay, like if I get stuck, you know, my husband, he's usually the first one I'll bounce an idea off of or I'll say, gosh, you know, this is where I am. I just don't know what to do next. And he might give me some good advice. Now, it's really helpful to belong to a writer's group or have a critique partner. Um, And, you know, and and I'm in a writing group that I have been in, oh, gosh, probably going on 10 years and they are lifesavers to me because it it's great to be able to brainstorm when any of us get stuck with what we're writing. We can all bring it to the table and say, you know, I just don't know what to do here and I'm kind of stuck. And we can all brainstorm and put some good ideas out there. So that those are things that I do. And then it's also kind of good to, you know, if you are stuck, kind of, you know, look at your situation and say, what would be the, the most outlandish thing that could happen? And, you know, of course, you don't want it to be too outlandish. You want it to be realistic. But you definitely want to keep throwing monkey wrenches into the plot to keep the conflict going and to keep the story more interesting. So definitely brainstorming yeah, you know, with other people is great. You know, and I appreciate you sharing that. And then also, uh, well, we know, of course, you want an editor before you before you um, you finalize it, but that is the writing. If you like liter, I like literature. So the the style of mm-hmm. writing is extremely important to me. It has to have Joyce Carol Oates is one of my favorites. It has. I have to oh, be yeah. very intrigued. 
with the style of the writing. Now, every reader isn't that way, but you can get so caught up in the style that you forget the conflict and the tension. That also has yeah. to be there as well. So yeah. that's a good point. I and appreciated you, you, yeah. you, you bringing yeah. that up. Yeah, and some people do prefer the style of the writing. Some people prefer the plot. You know, but some other writing advice I just want to throw out there is just to read, you know, and read the genre that you want to write in, but also read other genres and then improve your craft by reading books on how to, you know, on how to do that. And, and of course, write, just write, 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 and always, you know, use another set of eyes. And like I said, the critique partner or um, or being in a writer's group. And, and there are great mm-hmm. books out there, The Elements of Style by Strunken White and On Writing by Stephen King, On Writing Romance by Lee Michaels, Robert's Rules of Writing. There are just so many wonderful books out there that will help you improve your craft. As we come down to the last few minutes of today's show, can you share mm-hmm. with us some steps you found? It's it's the the writing world has changed when I entered it. Well, my first novel, Portia in '98, has changed incredibly, and I know authors who were just selling books by leaps and bounds in the late '90s. That it's changed so much. There's so many people out here with a book. It, 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 the book industry's changed about as much as the music industry, so it's tougher mm-hmm. to get your book noticed. It's tougher to get those sales. But could you share uh, about three steps that you found to be effective at getting the work out about your your books? Well, golly, yeah, that the promotion part of writing is probably the most challenging job of all. Um, and I have found that for me, writing another book always seems to stir up interest in previous books. And then another thing is word of mouth. I mean, that's a big thing. If you, you know, find a book club that likes your book, so you have readers there, and if they tell a friend that tells a friend, you know, that's always great. You know, and then social media can be useful using Goodreads effectively, and I still haven't mastered that. But, you know, Goodreads is a good way to connect with readers. So, yeah, the, just writing another book, word of mouth, and using social media effectively. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know the secret of great promotion. But those are, you know, three <laughs> things that I would see as being the most useful thing. <laughs> okay, where are where are some social networks you're on? How can off the shelf listeners find you, uh, Maria, if they if they wanted to learn more about you and your books on, on at a social media network? Okay, well, you had mentioned my website earlier, and then I am also on Facebook, uh, and I am on Twitter as well. And I was just telling my son, on Twitter, it's Maria underscore McKenzie at Twitter. Okay. And Maria McKenzie author on Facebook. Okay, and where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of your books? And are they in print, in e-books, and audio books? Yes, uh, they are all available on Amazon.com. Uh, the Governor's Sons and From Cad to Cadaver are available in uh, print and ebook. The Unchained Trilogy, Escape, Masquerade, and Revelation, they are available as print, ebook, and audio. Oh, okay, so 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 to our listeners, and then again, I'm sure if you go to the bookstore and you don't see it in print, you can ask. The clerk to get you a copy of the book by Arthur Mar- Maria McKenzie, but then of course mm-hmm. ebook and print at Amazon.com. We want to thank Maria McKenzie. Our, we are out of time. I had other questions to ask her, but I never get through all the questions. But we <laughs> want to thank Arthur Maria McKenzie for sharing her time with us. She is a a former librarian, small business owner, wife, and mom, and she is the author of the books. Masquerade, Escape, The Governor's Sons, Revelation, from Cad to Cadaver, and Desiree. We didn't even get to discuss uh, 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 two of the two of the books, two to three of them, uh, within the hour that we had. But Maria is also she earned a master's in library science from Atlanta University, and she got her English degree from Wittenberg University. So, got her roots in North Carolina and. 
Atlanta and Cincinnati, Ohio. And you can learn more about Maria McKenzie online at mariamckenziewrites.com. And that's spelled M-A-R-I-A-M-C-K-E-N-Z as in zoo, I-E-W-R-I-T-E-S.com, mariamckenziewrites.com. She's on Twitter and Facebook. So I encourage you guys to go out and get get her book. She has these very intriguing storylines and characters. And if you're one of those readers who loves history, and there are they they are in the thousands, if not millions, they there are readers who only read something that has an historic slant to it. Then you would enjoy Maria McKenzie's books. I really think that you would, especially with the complicated characters. Isn't that what keeps you turning the pages? That's what makes us watch TV series, if you do. It's those complicated characters, and she has those in her books, plus the, the history piece and and her gift of, of writing. And I do encourage you to go out and support author Maria McKenzie. And remember, as I told you, I always tell you, and hopefully one day we all will really accept this as the truth, you are so amazing to our off-the-shelf listeners. You're incredible. You're awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Please come back next Saturday at 11 a.m. when we will bring you another amazing guest. Thank you so much, Arthur Maria McKenzie, for your time, and I wish you boundless success. Again, see you guys back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Maria, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Okay. Thank you, Denise.